All right, we're live. I, you know, for, for whatever reason, StreamYard likes to play games with me. Like sometimes I'll hit the go live button and it'll be like a minute before it says we're live. All the while, we've been live for like at least 58 of those uh, seconds. <laughs> but this time it just worked right away. So, anyway, I'm Brent Leary. Welcome to another week of what I like to call the BBC, not from the UK, right from GA, Stockbridge, <laughs> Georgia. And with me, uh, this is cool because I always, I, I, I probably talk to a lot of people and 99.9% .9 of those folks are never anywhere near me, geographically speaking, definitely not in the state of Georgia. <laughs> but for this <laughs> one shining moment, uh, I have another Georgia person here, Anand Tucker, but we all know him by the colorful moniker he has. <laughs> The Midas of Martech. I just like saying that, man. It's such a cool nickname. All right. But thank, you, <laughs> thank you for joining well, me, man. Well, my former mentor would be very proud that uh, it's catching <laughs> on. So uh, I'm sure he'd be he'd be happy. But it's great to be on, Brent. Always great to chat with you. Uh, you know, whether it's remote, uh, <laughs> you know, even though we're in the same state and remote, or whether we're, you know, hanging out at a big old conference. So it's uh, always good to be here. Absolutely. And, of course, you know, we get a chance to talk you know, a lot, not necessarily in front of the camera, but just talking, you know, we oh, yeah. have good conversations. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, you're also, you're one of our, <laughs> you know, on our players in residence for the CRM players, which I still don't know why you guys do that, but we're glad you do because me and Paul <laughs> Greenberg just love having you guys around. But, uh, but yeah, and then, of course, you, you just like, you're just in tune with a lot of things that are going on with MarTech and marketing and so it's always great to uh, you know, kind of bring you into conversations and the reason why i wanted to really bring you in today is uh from a conversation that came about on last week's watching amazon show with i'm legally obligated to say this the cold one the bold one john colderice lawson it would be nice just to be able to call the dude his name but you know, whatever i got to do all this stuff but anyway so we were talking about, I forget exactly what, then we got on this, this topic of uh, like marketing and conversions and oh, yeah. spark something. So I'm just going to run this clip uh, to set up the conversation that we're going to have because it all stems from this one clip. So let me uh, pick it up right here. Generally speaking, are most of these companies, they're just, they're just basically still running off of the old, uh, like the foundational aspects of selling on the web, e-commerce, cookies, and using the ridiculous stuff like retargeting and, you know, just basically stalking you wherever you go on the web just because you just so happen to go to this website. Now, the next 10 websites you go to, do you really need to get an ad from the first one? That's what all there's all... It, it works. Does it work? Look, do you know people will work? put do money really into know? retargeting if it doesn't work? Because a lot of people will shop online at work, you know, or during the day, and totally forget that they put stuff in the cart, and they need to be reminded. So let's do it. But how do we Not know if it all. really works? What if you just if this is the only thing we you've know done it works you because use. we we know it works did, compared people, to what. But I'm saying we know it works because people put money in it. If it, they, if it didn't to work, what, though? What, if, what do you mean compared to really, what? That was the best tried, thing out. Have they the tried anything out. else? 
What else are you going to try gonna, right now? Well, they're going to have they're going to have to figure out something because these cookies are going away in a couple of years. Absolutely, they are. They but better that, start that, thinking about that. But generally speaking, all right, that's enough of that. All right. So, <laughs> so, yeah, he was riling you up too. That that was just you know obviously he just has a habit um, of the brotherly his, love of just his you know. face. Just me seeing his face. That's all I need to get riled up. You know? <laughs> Anyway, my, my whole point was, yeah, okay, they do these, you know, they do this stuff, and we, I just threw out a, a number, and and, and success is one percent conversion, and my argument was that doesn't sound all that successful. I mean, it's better than zero, and and of course, <laughs> if you got a, a big enough target, if you got like right. hundreds of millions of folks to throw something at, well, yeah, then you're gonna make some money off of one percent, but. It just feels like, have they tried other things? Have they tried <laughs> stuff that may go from 1% to, dare I say, like 5% or 10% or or 20%? It just feels like, generally speaking, they kind of found this one thing that works well enough for them not to have to worry about trying anything else. And, and that was my whole argument. And, of course, you, you had some, you didn't really see them, but you had some comments because you were checking this out. And you were saying, well, yeah, it does work. And so I immediately got mad and said, I'll never talk to him again. <laughs> but then I, then, I, then I composed myself and I said, well, I need to learn more about this. So I want yeah. to understand, you know, why marketers, I don't know if they feel satisfied. 1% is the right way to say it, but it, why is it seen as a success if you're able to do a 1% conversion? That's really my my big question. It's a fair question. Everybody should be questioning that. If you're, do especially if you're doing tactics that annoy your customers, uh, you know, understanding whether these things work or not. Now, I think what I, you know, you and I were chatting about, or I was throwing up in the com uh, the comments, was about the context of the situation. You know, in marketing, you're not doing just one thing unless you're just the spammer who wants to spam and make some money about that, which we'll actually come back to in a little bit, right? But uh, there's a slew of tactics that you're using. And not only that, you're actually working on trying to improve on all different fronts. And, you know, the, the one aspect, so I kind of categorize it in three different arenas, right? And this inspiration comes from Agile and Kaizen and biology. If you remember all of those, or if you've heard of those, you know, uh, these mechanisms that help you constantly or continuously improve, the 1% starts to sound like it's ridiculous outside of that context, but a 1% improvement can be a big deal. Um, but, but let me, let me take a little bit of time to share like these three categories that why 1% might matter to somebody or what's the motivation, whether it's good or not. Uh, if that's cool. So, um, you know, like the first category is if you're doing the band brand building and you're doing it for growth, right. And some people I've heard it even called, and this is probably more in the sports arena, micro excellence, um, but it's really about go-to-market prioritization. So we're talking about, have you heard, if, if you've heard this parable, uh, it's about a university professor, the rock pebbles and sand in a jar. You may have gotten that from a manager who, you know, was kind of talking about prioritization and, you know, this, this you know particular story. Yeah. No, I got that from, uh, that movie, that, that old 60s, 70s TV show, Kung Fu uh, at the beginning. <laughs> when you can take the pebble from my hand, it is time for you to go. <laughs> That's what I got that from, but I was just saying. Yeah, that, well, so, so the, the quick and dirty of that story, and you can go search it, but basically uh, the professor you know, holds out a glass jar and he says, all right, fill it with rocks. 
And then he asked the class, all right, uh, is the glass full? And the class, of course, said, oh, yeah, of course it's full, right? It's got these big rocks in it and, you know, it's filled to the top. Then he whips out some pebbles and he puts some pebbles into this jar with the rocks in it. And the pebbles make their way and they kind of navigate and filling in the gaps, right? So that's another you know, uh, another category. And then he, then he, of course, asked the class again, Hey, is this, uh, is the glass jar full? And of course, and everybody said, Oh man, okay. Yes. Now it's really full. <laughs> then he breaks out a box of sand and then he puts sand into this j- big jar and it fills in all the rest of the gaps. Right. And so, you know, there's two parts of this, the, 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 narr- you know, sort of the, um, the, the fable, but, or this narrative here, but the one part is, once you've done a significant number of the big rocks, right? The prioritizations of let's take care of our customer. Let's make sure we, you know, t- uh, work on the 20% improvements or the 10% improvements. If there's enough budget left, guess what? You're not going to end up now needing to do something. And sometimes the 1% can work, right? It's an incremental piece to a larger puzzle. It's not just, you know, I'm going to just do this 1% performance and be okay with it. And yeah, there's a hundred million dollars spend and we got, you know, 10 million out of it. Right. So, I mean, it's, or excuse me, a million out of it. Right. That's not, I mean, that might be successful, but if you've run out of other tactics that you're capable of doing, that's one thing that's possible out of that. Right. And then the other part is a competitive advantage. Like let's say you're in a marketplace where let's say in big tech, you know, everyone is in CRM. But if you have a 1% competitive advantage, you know, if you can improve yourself 1%, that's at least a little bit of a leader versus some other ones. It actually can be a significant competitive advantage, even though it sounds like a very small amount. And we're not talking about just marketing. We're talking about overall business growth. So that's one quick category, right? The next category uh, or the second category is in athletics. And I think, you know, we talk about athletics collectively in the players. Most, a lot of times you guys, Amazon, I mean, even wearing my Georgia tech shirt, you know, happy that Calvin Johnson Megatron's in the hall of fame. Right. So, you know, football is about to start. Um, but a lot of that, uh, you know, in athletics, it's a lot about, you know, developing that peak performance, but there's also a sustainability component to it. So if you are, uh, there's a, another, I'll throw another story out there, right? So our, a quick uh, narrative is if you're familiar with Alice in Wonderland, there is a actual business uh, model called the green, um, excuse me, the red queen effect. And I'll let you go read the story. And I even wrote a blog post about it, but re- the red queen effect, it's actually a Harvard business article that was written about this, that if you're not standing still, if you're standing still, but you keep churning through things, uh, then you're really not progressing, right? And you're not moving forward. So 1% may sound not like a lot, but if you've done everything you're possibly doing and you're able to move forward, at least, at least you're not moving backward. So a lot of folks, you know, I mean, I'm getting to That's the true. age where, you know, doing crossword puzzles is a good thing. It's a small bit of my time, <laughs> but you know what? You got to keep the mental capacity up, right? That's one way of Absolutely. being able to take care of it. But let's go back to the athletic part. I mean, how much energy and effort are a lot of the Olympians or professional athletes or even amateur athletes who are trying to become professional, you know, they, they read all the books, they get the right coaching, but then they've got to start on these tactics that uh, give them again, that 1% advantage that could be in the minute, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, dropping the ball and catching it in the end zone. It could be, you know, going from silver to gold, right? So that 1% could really mean something. And that's another category. And the last category, you know, just to be very quick is survivability, You've got no choice. And, you know, obviously sending out a bunch of emails and retargeting 
it's a very quick and easy way to be able to knock things out. And so for a lot of businesses, they've got to just do this. Uh, and it, it, you know, I will send a bunch of emails and I will not be, you know, uh, you know, very deliberate about who I'm sending it to. And they'll do that because it's a desperate attempt, quite frankly, or the more dangerous version, which is the, I'm ignorant about the fact that this is going to harm my brand in the long term and be very disposable, you know, create my brand to be a disposable brand. And I'm not recognizing that. So there's a real, and, and obviously that third category is like the worst thing possible, right? That's not something you would ever encourage. That's not something that would ever matter, but there is a place for the 1% improvement. And I know we just kind of arbitrarily picked 1%, but that was part of the conversation, but there is a reason for it. Uh, you know, either it's, you know, the positive ones sides, I've done everything I could, but I need to keep moving forward. And then there's, I'm at peak performance, but I need to keep sustaining, you know, moving forward. Otherwise I'm going to end up falling behind. And so, uh, you know, and, and so even doing experimentation and stuff like that um, is something that matters. So, and, and you know, strategically speaking, um, this, yeah, I, I borrowed a lot of this when I was a software engineer. I started seeing a lot of this in marketing. And so when I got into marketing technology, bringing a lot of that engineering and manufacturing or engineering uh, and software engineering, excuse me, uh, you know, kind of tactics into this started to play a role in the operations of marketing or the operations of sales, the operations of growing revenue. Uh, this 1% matters and it's okay that it's 1% as long as you're very aware that that's not the only thing you're going to be doing. It feels like some of these folks aren't aware that that's the only thing. <laughs> and that's and, very true. That's true. And they fall back on doing the same thing kind of as a crutch because, you know, they got, I guess they got the monetary return that they were looking for. And although, you know, it, it worked for, one percent, just using that hypothetically, of course. But what about like the other, I don't know, 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of the folks that are like totally turned off to this? And yeah, you know, you 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 get the one percent, but are, are you burning the bridges of like the other 90 plus percent? Does that matter? Why not try to figure out a way to the the find a better way of communicating or, or or enticing so to speak because it feels like to me a lot of companies you use the word desperate um they're desperate for a very long time <laughs> yeah and i mean we, but we see this with companies you know that uh, yeah whether they're technology or not they either are not aware that this is going to hit. Yeah. I talk about like when I do advisement or I'm talking to executives or board members and we're talking about growth, I'd ask them to look at the negative space. And then we talk about it in great detail and we'll go into this, but the negative space is exactly what you described, right? Okay. Everybody's focused on the 1%. Oh yes, we made a bunch of money or we got some customers or we made something, but what is happening in that arena uh, that, that uh, you know, people are not responding. People are unsubscribing and people are opting out what's going on there. That's going to be a real big problem uh, for a lot of folks. And this, that is more the qualitative and quantitative analysis that needs to be done moving forward. If you're going to use those types of tactics, because you, uh, to your point, I mean, it does eventually erode. You just don't see it every day. Uh, and, uh, and if you do, uh, you know, enhance those relationships, repair those relationships, or just even, you know, spend time working with these folks to understand what, uh, you know, your customers or potential customers and what's going on. then you know what, you're going to be out of business soon, or you're going to be hanging on desperately, you know, and get, let's use desperation again. You're going to be hanging on in there 
but it's almost like that red queen effect. Again, you just see you're doing a lot of progress, but you don't feel like you're really moving anywhere. What are successful marketers? And I guess when I say successful, the ones that don't seem to depend on some of these blasted, you know, what is spray and pray kind of tactics, uh, (laughs) that they don't rely completely on those or don't even use those as really foundational. They they're doing other things. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things and what kind of, well, how do they define success if they have gone beyond, you know, the, the first level of, (laughs) I keep saying desperate. I'm not, I don't really, (laughs) it's just just so easy for me to just fall back on that. But, Folks who are saying, you know what, that was good for when we got started, but we can do better. Mm-hmm. What do they do? What? How do they define success? Is it, you know, conversion rates be above one percent, or is it just, you know, <laughs> we're hitting our monetary target? How do they handle this beyond the folks who are still, right. you know, latching on to the one percent? Right, right. Well, I mean, there's a couple of tactics that we are, you know, strategies people are using. One is, you know, I, really spending time to understand what is, first of all, working with your customer, current customer base. If you don't have one, let's let's put that aside for a moment. But let's just say you have a customer base. How are you, how are you helping them achieve a level of either success or satisfaction that they talk about? Because unless that happens, then, you know, you're really not doing your job and you'll start to see different kinds of interesting metrics that are not on your two usual, usual dashboards, like customer lifetime value, which is on dashboards, but uh, customer satisfaction, uh, how many people are, you know, sharing or commenting or, you know, taking the time to really respond to those types of things, which are very relevant in that relationship. And interestingly enough, that actually does rub off on the, you know, rub off into the brand and then into prospects that you don't have as customers currently. Um, You know, another one has been more recently, how well are you building strong communities around your brand, right? So whether they are, you know, customers of yours or not, but you're trying to solve a particular problem maybe, or you're trying to satisfy a particular need, how are you developing a community and a strong group of people around that? And that uh, manifests itself very visibly uh, again, as you continue to do promotion. So if someone get, you give a cold email, as an example, a cold retarget, at least someone will say, okay, well, this brand is, you know, pretty legitimate. I'll, I'll give them a shot, you know, as opposed to something random, that's totally irrelevant in the first place. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's one, there's a couple of, you know, factors that come into play is really thinking about the longer game uh, about what your customers are giving to you and how they're operating in the community as well. Um, as well. So, you know, well, you know, this this thing, this this whole kind of marketing, especially digital marketing, is kind of been built on the back of cookies. Mm-hmm. And we we're we're starting to stare. We thought we were closer to the cookieless future than we apparently are because Google pushed back the, the date on when they were gonna get rid of these things. But how is the word destructive or maybe just disruptive? <laughs> how disruptive is when cookies go away? How disruptive is that going to be to marketers? Oh, you know, it, it's actually hard to tell. I know there's a lot of statistics. There's a lot of people, um, even the top analysts, the top, you know, influencers, the top people who are, they really don't know. I mean, it, it you'll get a variety of here's how we could prepare, but I think it comes down to really one thing, which is, 
how, how much do you own the relationship to your customer? Right. And mm. what we're seeing, and this kind of goes back to our previous conversation, if you don't own the relationship to your customer, and I know we say that generically, but I'm talking about you have their data, first party data, right? You have spent time, you know, harnessing and developing that relationship. Uh, and that, and then, you know, certainly leveraging that relationship in a, in a positive manner in terms of how you operate as a business or how you operate as a company or what you're trying to accomplish in the world. So it's, it's that kind of, you know, mission purposeful oriented, you know, deliberate type of um, action that's going to take be necessary, which really translates into, you know, we've had this brand agency relationship that's really going to get, that's already gotten disrupted even before the cookie list thing happened. We're going to see a grit. That's where the, I think a significant amount of uh, uh, disruption and possibly desperation will come about because you can't outsource your customer relationships. You might be able to outsource other things. The agencies are remarkable at you're bringing lots of different experiences, uh, lots of different interesting tactics, new ways of learning. You know what works and what situations. But at the end of the day, if you don't, if you just outsource your customer relationship. And you just say, listen, here's here's our data. Go do whatever you want with it. Then you're going to get your one percent. You're going to get, you know, with after a significant amount of spend, you're going to get, you know, this desperate attempt of what seems to be desperate because someone's got to be they're getting paid to just interact and engage and create these metrics. But you're creating this erosion that eventually will create a significant crack, uh, you know, inside your foundations. And that's not something that you want to have over the long term. Do you think um, and, you know, the pandemic has had such a harsh impact on life in general? Yeah. Um, but from a business perspective and particularly from a marketing perspective, people uh, will just take like grocery shopping, for example. You had to stay in the house, which means you couldn't go out and shop the way you traditionally did, the way many people traditionally did for groceries. So they had to go online and, and, and buy groceries. Um, you know, and have them ship to them. Mm-hmm. So the folks, the, the the companies that were built with the wholesale retail kind of channel in mind, meaning they sold their stuff to stores and then stores sold their stuff to individuals, that was gone for the short term for, you know, at least a couple of months. And to a certain extent, it's still going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of a sudden, instead of thinking of retail, your traditional retail, they had to think of direct to consumer. And so they had to start building a relationship going right at, you know, the customers who would usually buy their stuff in the store. Right. Did that help prepare folks for what's going to happen when cookies go away? I think to a point, I mean, for the ones that are paying attention and have been at least making a best effort, uh, you know, at, at those transformations, those digital transformations, I think we all remember the cartoon that uh, was drawn by Tom Fishburne with the, uh, wrecking ball <laughs> coming down into a uh, office of executives or marketers that were uh, that you know basically accelerated that uh, process for a lot of people, and of course there's quotes from numerous you know uh, top level, very visible, high, highly respected executives about you know how much transformation has happened within a short period of time. So I think those that are in transformation. Uh, they're probably already starting to make that, uh, you know, move out of the cookie, you know, in, in preparation for a cookie world. Because, I, you know, the, there's things like, for instance, I mean, we've been talking about, you know, owning the customer relationship, which means you're going to need to own that data. That was going to have to be the only way you could be agile enough to handle 
the COVID situation in the first place. Now in a cookie-less world, guess what? Now you've gotten more of that information in-house and now hopefully you've hired to handle that expertise as well. Then there was dealing with privacy and compliance. So compliance was already starting to come into play. You've got to create new baselines that if you're you know, once offline, online, now you're almost all digital. You have to create new baselines for how you're able to you know, recognize what success looks like as we talk about, right? Um, and then, you know, various things we were talking about, right? Like building communities, loyalty programs, those who had loyalty programs, you know, they're probably gonna have to go back and say, okay, well, we got all this data. Uh, we gave you a little card or we gave you some incentives, but are we really respecting, you know, your, the relationship we have with you as a result of that? Um, and then there's the, you know, I think a lot of people talk about technology disruption, but what about the business model disruption? right, or transformation. That's really where the transformation has happened. You know, we saw a lot of this SaaS-based subscription model. You know, there's all kinds of technology we could talk about that's changed the way that we live or changed the way that we talk about. But it was the business model change that really adapted uh, or really transformed, disrupted and transformed the way that most businesses operate. So I don't know if cookie-lessness will harm companies who are already in transition, um, but they certainly will create disruption for those that are doing the duck and cover <laughs> and hoping that some of this will go away and we'll return back to normal. Well, one of the more recent announcements, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, um, was from Salesforce with their Salesforce Plus streaming service. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to play this clip because uh, Colin Fleming from Salesforce, who's heading up the rollout, uh, came on with uh, Paul Greenberg, myself, one of the CRM players, and just talk about, you know, it's it it, it it was such a surprise move that had the whole industry talking. So we had a chance to spend some time with him. I wanted to play this clip and get your take on kind of how he sees things and how he sees Salesforce Plus beyond kind of, well, it was kind of portrayed as the Netflix for business content, <laughs> more of a, a play on first party data. Here, check it out. Well, I think, you know, clearly in the marketing industry, there's a pretty big effort happening around this cookie-less future, right? So every company has to be thinking about building a first-party data model where some of the tips and tricks that us marketers have built over the last decade are very quickly going to be irrelevant. And that's going to force companies into a different world. And that's exactly, this is our strategy. We think that it is a first-party data model for us where, you know, if you look at Salesforce, if you go to Salesforce's website today, we're very good at, at capturing your information and getting you, getting you on the phone with a Salesforce representative. We're very highly proficient at that. Um, however, we think that there's a higher level than that where we start to edu educate you in terms of how people are using Salesforce, what that looks like, how CMOs are tackling this new pandemic, how chief executive officers are doing that. And there's more of an educational higher part of the funnel conversation that we want to be part of. And so it's as simple as you go to Salesforce Plus, all we need all we need is essentially your email address and you're off and you have full access to everything within the Salesforce ecosystem. Oh yeah. All right, so first data. The way he broke it down, it was really interesting because as you were saying, kind of smart companies have been planning for this cookie list future for uh, quite some time. That sounds like directly what is, is he's looking at Salesforce Plus as being a, a first party uh, opportunity to build a direct relationship different than they had done in the past. Do you see this with Salesforce to do with Salesforce Plus as something that may end up being kind of a, a, a trend uh, as companies start thinking beyond the cookie list and start thinking we need to build direct 
uh, have ways to address the people that we want to connect with in a much different, much more direct, much straighter, narrower path as they uh, compared to what they had to do in the past. Fewer dots to connect. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Salesforce has been uh, a high growth company because of the the community driven, community led thinking uh, ever since the beginning. I mean, before it was, you know, initially it was, you know, working with developers. Uh, it was then it became, you know, starting to get into other clouds. And then it's starting to now say, okay, we're sort of a operating system for a lot of different things. Now let's talk about bringing that uh, directness to there. But I, I think part of it is their question, you know, I, I, Dreamforce was disrupted last year. That was one of their biggest events, right? Marquee events. Now they recognize a lot of people are producing content. That content generator is going to be the net. Yeah, certainly has been a hot topic, but have companies started to produce like Netflix would produce as they use that as a, I mean, you and I both agree that was not the best uh, PR, uh, you know, announcement, but you know, regardless people, a lot of people got a lot of eyeballs, look at it, right. Got a lot yeah. of eyeballs, right. That still will never go away. Marketers are always good at that, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're going to see a lot of companies who are starting to produce the next generation of content creation, but then package it together with the idea of putting people together as well. Right. So before it was, Hey, go download this thing. And then, oh, then you can come to this event. Oh, and then you can do this training. Now we're going to see, you know, content generation. We're going to see, you know, people connecting online and we're going to see some educational or edutech, you know, educational kind of uh, capacity all wrapped into one strong asset for a lot of companies, or at least the one companies that are going to do it right. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think we also saw HubSpot buy, you know, a, a an organization that is uh, the hustle, right? So, Long have they been a content generator, right? And um, yeah. I even know some people who've moved into, you know, the uh, the journalistic uh, capacity as market modern marketers who feel that this transformation is an opportunity for even traditional newspapers or traditional me media uh, to to change the way that they interact with their audiences. So yeah, absolutely. I think uh, certainly Salesforce wasn't the first, but they definitely won't be the last. Um, and certainly a lot of people will be looking to them as a template for how they start to engage directly uh, with their customer base. And I think it's a strong opportunity for them to, you know, keep people engaged and keep them relevant uh, in terms of how they're going to be able to do that. And Brent, I think what's going to happen even more so is we're going to start to see how that content gets. I mean, just having Netflix out there, right, as an example, that's too much videos to try to chime through, right? It's then the problem for a lot of the companies will be, how do we, how do we kind of, for the lack of using a better word, personalize, you know, the experience through this entire community, right? We may even see, you know, um, uh, what do they call the, the, the folks like you can go to uh, the concierge folks who are helping certain accounts, you know, navigate, here's how you put this content together so that it would be most beneficial for you and your exec team. So could be quite uh, fascinating what this might end up becoming in addition to selling a product uh, and then you going through, uh, you know, a maze like a mouse with cheese at the end of it. <laughs> Instead, you get yeah. a sales call. <laughs> yeah, Colin that's right. well, As Colin recognized, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know, um, you know, you mentioned HubSpot. They they bought the newsletter company. I think you called it Hustle. The Hustle. It, the Hustle, right. Yep. They bought a newsletter company. They started with, the, I think they called it the HubSpot podcast network mm -hmm. so that's right so so they've already started taking stuff i mean you, you you can go back to like um adobe when they bought cmo.com 
mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. started using that as a way to talk directly to CMOs, not specifically all the time about their particular you know products and services, but to the subject matter and themes that were important to that particular role mm-hmm. so that they could build a direct relationship with them. I, I, Salesforce Plus is kind of the next generation of that where oh, yeah. videos become so important and, and so much of a way to connect and keep people's attention. Um, so they're, they're taking that kind of approach. We'll see how it works. Yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a very uh, ambitious endeavor. I, I think it has a lot of uh, potential, but of course, you know, unless it actually goes from potential to real, uh, we'll see how that works. <laughs> but I, I give them a lot of credit for for yeah. for attempting it because I think absolutely it's, it's a absolutely. huge move. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about you know we talk, keep talking about cookie list and and the reason that a lot of you know that talk that discussion is taking place is the the whole uh, idea or, or topic of privacy has mm-hmm. really over the last six months to a year I I would say the big stake in the ground was when Apple announced the iOS 14.5 update, mm-hmm. which was going to prompt people to, to say, uh, do you want us to collect your data or not, as opposed to defaulting to that. And that <laughs> kind of started all the kind of this, this, this discussion around you know, privacy and, and people have started to really start to take notice at least to what had been going on all along. And so the, you know, this whole idea of, the cookies and how they've been used and the retargeting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. So I guess, was it last year or some, maybe last year, the year before that um, Google announced that they're going to, you know, they're going to start doing away with allowing third party uh, cookies mm-hmm. on the Chrome browser. And of course, Chrome was what about 85 to 90% of the browser right. market or whatever. Right. So whenever they make a huge change, people listen. Now, the, the thing I want to ask you is, Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole idea of cookies are really driven by, well, I, I think the, it was not initially driven by marketers, but marketers found out, hey, this is a way that we can like get more information on what's going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. we went in on that. Um, so then, you know, as privacy starts to become a bigger issue, marketers are going to are, are caught in this kind of weird position. It says, well, if that's what people want, yeah, that sounds great, but we still want the data. So this whole idea of privacy is not privacy at any cost. It's <laughs> privacy at like the most minimal cost to us still getting what we need from a marketing perspective. So Google says, all right, we're going to do away with third party cookies, but Google still makes a lot of money from marketers. So they have to find a way to kind of balance more privacy, but not at too much of an expense from market. So that's where this whole flock thing comes in. The federated learning of cohorts. That's what Google has been floating to take the place of third party cookies. And uh, so far to date, there was supposed to, you know, cookies are supposed to be phased out. I think at the, beginning of 2022 or something like that. Now it's kind of at the end of 2023. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a main reason why that delay is taking place is because of the pushback that uh, Google has got from, from retail sites, big retail chains mm-hmm. that said, you know what? 
this cohort thing is completely defined by Google, mm-hmm. completely implemented mm-hmm. by Google. What say do does anybody other than Google have in how this thing is actually going to work? And they started pushing back on that. Uh, what's your perspective on what you know? Flock, how is that different than third-party cookies in terms of not a, not in terms of technology, but in terms of the business case of privacy and marketers? Yeah, I you know I did. Uh, I, admittedly, I had been a little behind on Flock and took some time uh, over the last few days to just kind of look into it and. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, and I remember why I didn't really spend a lot of time with it because I thought that they're not going to, it's going to go away. But, um, <laughs> but, but I think, um, yeah, well, let, let's talk about Google's motivation, right? First of all, third party cookies are not, are actually creating a lot of harm than good. And I forgot what was, I, I think Google has some sort of motto about doing harm good, something in that capacity. <laughs> do no so, harm or yeah, <laughs> do no, <laughs> do evil, no or... evil. That's right. So, uh, let's just, uh, for the benefit of, um, for the benefit, for their sake and benefit, they're trying to make the world a better place. But, you know, uh, you know, Flock is designed around the idea of taking the data that exists today and uh, creating lookalikes. This is one of the, you know, main uses of AI data science that has been uh, happening, particularly with marketers or more sophisticated marketing and brands where uh, either it's a lookalike, you know, shopping experience, it's a lookalike customers, uh, and they call them clusters. And without going into more details about it, the idea of clusters is we're going to bring a, a, a groups of people that have like interests in a particular arena. And I think it's a fascinating approach, certainly to take. Um, when I built solutions, whether it was in the energy or finance or even the marketing worlds, we use clusters as an appropriate and very uh, methodical means of being able to determine the best interest based on lookalikes. Um, and that's really what's going on behind the scenes. But of course, you know, Google's going to put its own wall into it. It's going to have, <laughs> you're going to only have access to what they think is a cluster, regardless of what kind of information you might be able to bring to the table, which creates a real problem. So it's no surprise that, you know, tech journalists have kind of bashed flock. Uh, I think even a couple of, uh, uh, Organizations that are out there for the better of a better digital internet uh, have you know knocked it. Uh, I'm just going to call it out. Amazon has said, "Nope, we're not getting into that game. Uh, we're actually competing. <laughs> They're probably competing, creating their own ad ecosystem, right?" So uh, it, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, I think one of the things that got pushed back was Google's going to have to find a way to replace their you know revenue stream, and if they decide to dump third party cookies, what are they going to replace it with? So until they come up with an alternative. They're going to defer. I suspect they're going to continue to defer because it would be a real harm just to not have a game plan in place by the time they do something else. So now this is going to open up an opportunity for someone else to start, you know, I mean, Google is huge, but maybe there's somebody else who's going to propose something or maybe a collective who proposes something and Google's going to either have to be a part of it or, you know, they can come up with a competing one. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be like more than one ID or more than one, like, uh, you know, means of being able to identify a person or at least be able to identify something about this group of people. So it, I wouldn't as marketers or as you know executives uh, who are planning on growth, you know, using these mechanisms plan for the fact that there's going to be more than one and stop worrying about the fact which is one the one that's going to be out there uh, until, you know, you, you, you until it actually becomes incredibly obvious. So, you know, uh, 
high definition DVDs versus Blu-ray. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, obviously we're on Blu-ray world or not even in that capacity anymore. Uh, but, uh, but the reality is we're just playing for multiple ones at this point, uh, as, as a way of thinking about it. It it seems to me that, uh, this whole idea or area of privacy is the biggest, uh, competitive ground now for the, particularly for the big, the, the fan guys. Oh yeah. We all notice they're all, I think they all understand the importance of this as consumers get more sophisticated in their knowledge of what what's going on with their data they all realize that uh we need to be as much driving this as much as possible mm-hmm. and i think they're all you know it would be it, either th- my prediction is i don't think any one of them is going to be able to do it but if they created a consortium the fan consortium they could force it down everybody's throats but i don't think there's enough Comp, uh, co- uh, co- what am I gonna cooperation, I think. Cooperation. I was going to say cooperation <laughs> or something. Because they all, I was talking about this, their last earnings. They're all making billions of dollars in profits every quarter. Mm-hmm. So it's not just revenue. I mean, mm-hmm. like a- Apple, 21 billion in profits last quarter. So they all have the money to try different things. And I think they all realize that privacy is, is the thing that has gotten all the oxygen. And now they have to try to figure out how do we, how do we implement and look like we're implement and look like we're and become a leader in championing privacy, mm-hmm. but still be able to go to the marketers, particularly when it comes to Google and Facebook, not so much Apple because they make money off actually selling stuff and (laughs) Amazon does too. But, you know, but particularly Facebook and Google, I think they have to be seen as being a champion of privacy to the consumers, but also seen to be a champion of reaching the market to Mm -hmm. businesses. Right. And they kind of like they're, they're, they, they kind of knock each other off. You know, uh, in terms of if you do this, well, what does it mean for that? So you mm-hmm. got you got to be in this constant battle for, you know, privacy, but still, you know, being able to make money selling, <laughs> you know. So how do you see this playing out? Do you see is there like a dark horse or is there another even larger group of businesses that could form a consortium like a, the, like the retail you know, brand retailers? get together and say, this is what we want and figure out who's going to win this because there's so much at stake. It's almost like the one who, who gets to lead this effort is the one who stands the gen, uh, the benefit the most. And if you mm-hmm. aren't seen as a member of that leadership, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. I, it's, I think we're going to see, I don't have a prediction particularly about which one is going to win it's, And I think it's still a little too difficult for anyone to really consider that. But what we will see is a lot of walled gardens created, right? Wall gardens of data uh, by big brands who have, you know, access to the direct access to the customer. Um, and so, you know, on one front, we were talking about 
uh, the concept of being direct to the customer. But then I think another part of that, this, the flip side of that coin or the other half that you really have to consider is how do you start to develop relationships with other businesses that, you know, can give you access, right? So either it's co-marketing, it's sponsorship, um, you know, so either as you're, you know, basically being or buying or sponsoring content generators, right, who are getting that access on a regular basis, how do you partner with some of those organizations or those uh, brands that exist, or maybe even influencers or those content generators to be able to like co-market or be able to introduce your, um, you know, brand into the mix. So um, I, uh, you know, (laughs) I mean, if I were to take a stab in the dark, uh, it's going to be the people, the ones that are going to win are not reliant on ads, like uh, entirely for their revenue growth or their profitability growth. I think, uh, you know, the big moats do matter. um, And it's going to be a, battle between people who are not reliant on ads uh, and sell you know, goods or services directly, you know, have a significant amount of that. And then it's going to be another group that has a lot of political wielding, you know, investment, uh, you know, at their disposal. Uh, and we're going to see a big battle in that particular capacity where somewhere we'll find some sort of middle ground. But um, I I'd hate for anyone to ha- make any kind of, you know, act on any kind of prediction that exists today, except for the fact that it's <laughs> going to be a little bit of chaos. Try to, you know, anticipate, you know, again, with the themes that we've talked about today, just get as close to the customers you can, just like in e-commerce, get as close, to, you know, the best technologies, are the ones that are as close to the revenue or the closest to the transaction as possible. You've got to be as close to the customer as possible. And, you know, as long as that is your true North and you're following that path, then, you know, no matter what ends, en- ends up happening, you'll certainly be able to be out on top or at least <laughs> survive the chaos that ensues. You know, and there's going to be a lot of chaos. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, there's a lot of focus on, uh, there's a lot of apparent focus on privacy, but I also start to think about is, is privacy being used as a tool for, you know, these big companies to try to bludgeon each other with, as as much like to try to put pain on on their competitors, just as much as it is to put more power in the hands of consumers to be able to have a, a better handle on what happens to their privacy. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a double edged sword going on here. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's it's great that we're able to you know put more privacy in the hands of the people, but it's also pretty cool to use that as a, a bludgeon to go against our competitors who are having a bit, a big issue with that. It, it, that's what it seems. That's what it feels like to me. It, you know, it's not just all, you know, uh, positives. Go, I mean, it's, it's almost like a game of data, you know, game of Thrones, mm-hmm. whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. There's the privacy po- uh, positive aspect and there's the privacy negative aspect in terms of we're going to try to, you know, kill our competition who, who, you know, we're, we're going to try to, you know, love the, the consumers with privacy and use that same privacy to kill you with it uh, because you can't deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I don't, I mean, where, where do you see, um, let me come back to like expand a little bit more Brent that you've seen in terms of the specific bludgeoning. Has there been something that's just been oh, stand out for you? Tim Cook, Tim Cook for like the year was killing Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. I yeah. mean, everything he said was killed. And then the fourteen five, and then remember when Facebook came out with the 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 full uh, full one page mm-hmm. uh, front page on the New oh, York yeah. Times about how you know Apple was trying to you know 
make it more difficult for small businesses to the market to their, you know, we're going to stand up for them. It just feels like now the, the rhetoric has died down a little bit, but it just also feels like, you know, going back to when Apple, uh, you know, did the thing with, you know, trying to do the, the imaging thing with the phones mm-hmm. around right. child and, and who was one of the loudest voices to come out against that? Uh, the guy in charge of WhatsApp. Yeah. It's almost like it's, if, if they each get one thing on the other, they are going to go to work. You know, and that's what it just I haven't seen Google get caught up in that yet. And I, you know, I haven't mm-hmm. seen Amazon get caught up in it yet. But it just feels like, you know, Facebook has a lot to lose because what mm-hmm. you, you showed me that what 97, 98 percent of their 90, revenue comes yeah. from. And even you know, more after like a couple of months, right after the following yeah. quarter, there was even yeah, it went it was even greater. <laughs> so they've got a ton to lose. And Apple, to your point, what you said, you know, they make most of their money on selling hard goods. Right. right. So they can make these statements and make these actions because it may cost them a little bit of money. Right. But not anything to what it may cost Facebook. Right. So it's like, yeah, we're bringing privacy, you know, more privacy to the masses, but we're also like sticking it in there to some of our competitors. And remember too. what face that's a great example. Remember what Facebook's responses was it, our response was it was, well, you know, unfortunately, you know, Facebook might, uh, you know, if you come on to, if you go into Apple, you know, or we're trying to help new businesses grow. Right. <laughs> because we have all this access and this large community. And if you go to the other person or the other company, you're going to be very limited in how that's going to happen. Right. And so um, I think the next step in all this war is like, who, who are those successful companies exemplified in those respective ecosystems? Right. So you're going to see Facebook throwing a lot of ads and probably Facebook ads on, you know, uh, and, and commercials and whatever they can about here's successful businesses that wouldn't exist if they couldn't be on Facebook and the way that we're handling privacy or handling customer data, let's just say. And then Apple, of course, will speak to the same thing. Um, it, a lot of it's just going to normalize to the two camps, right? And what is the trend, you know, overall? I don't know. There is one cynical take I have is a lot of people accept those terms of use without thinking twice, and that's, that's the question for me is like, how many people are going to just simply for the sake of moving to what they want to do, just simply accept it right now, the good, not skeptical side of me, it says, well, I trust this brand. I'm just going to say whatever. Right. And I'm, I'm happy to give yeah. them more because I trust Apple or I trust, you know, uh, you know, some other retailer that exists out there and I'm good with it. Sure. Why not? And, uh, and they're just going to click it through. And again, you know, obviously the brand earned in a sense, right? it was the best way it earned a, unfettered amount of data that they're about to get and they don't have to have any kind of consequences. So not only are you going to get emails every annually about terms of use, you're also going to now get ones about privacy as well as if you haven't already. Um, And I think people who have that, it's, it's probably going to be less in the hands of consumers in terms of making those decisions, but what they read in the news and what they're seeing, you know, as exemplified in the, uh, in the marketplace. And if, uh, and there will always be those two camps. There will always you be those like yeah. yeah, I love what you said about consumers. And I've been popping up some comments from... Uh, yeah, some good somebody, stuff from John. Yeah. Yeah, the bad boy of ERP. It's like, <laughs> John Lee. Yeah, Apple, there's nobody who has clean hands. I mean... No. You know, even, no. Even if you give Apple the benefit of the doubt on, you know, they wanted to be helpful with identifying child, you know, 
I don't, you know, imagery being used. In them. Yeah. Even if you say, yeah, I think they were probably, you know, thinking in, in the right way about that. Look at all the concerns that propped up because of that. And they had to answer that because they were valid concerns. Right. And 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 then, you know, the other thing, you know, Apple is fighting the battle on the marketplace scene. You know, they mm-hmm. they are holding, you know, with an iron fist what happens with what about 95% of the app market? <laughs> or I don't know if it's that much or not, because I don't know, Android has probably come up quite a bit, but between the two companies, they rule the world in app marketplace. Right. Uh, so yeah, so and there's a lot of data that they ain't sharing with, you know. So there's a lot of privacy around the board, but at least with with Apple, they aren't making most of their money on that. They're making a nice cut. Right. But right. This whole refresh of the, you know, they're breaking their own chips. Their whole refresh is is printing money. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. bought a, a Mac Mini M1. I can't wait to get the the the, the M1X for the MacBook Pro. I mean, they are literally printing twenty billion dollars in profit, mm-hmm. and most of that is not coming from you know selling services. It's coming from selling units. Right. So so they're in a different. It is. They're a whole different you know, position as Facebook is. It is. And, but it's interesting to note though, right. Is that how much the tech companies are blending from what you think that they originally are. So Apple, okay. Well, they make hardware and they have this thing called iTunes, right. And there's (laughs) apps there. I'm being a little flippant, but uh, so bear with me for a second. And then you've got Facebook that sells ads and then they've got this, you know, really cool community and interaction that you can go on. But who the heck ever thought that those two companies would start competing on each other, right? And a lot of this stemmed from the App Exchange, right? And or excuse me, not the App Exchange. Sorry. Hey, Facebook play. Uh, yeah. So the <laughs> the marketplace for apps, right? And yeah. the significant amount of money that's made on those third those not third party developed tools or you know uh, platforms and apps, and they're not bad, right? Most of them are very very good, and they've done and actually all companies have taken significant steps to make sure that whether there was a breach or whether it was something, you know, illegal, but they've taken, they do take significant steps to make sure that, you know, they don't, you know, brandish something bad that happens. Uh, but whoever thought that, okay, that those two companies would ever compete. And I think this is what gives us, this was what stems, you know, some two interesting companies that are at battle with each other for something yeah. that isn't even core to what, what you, you know, what you know about them, you know, on the surface. Um, And it's even, it's even difficult for policyholders to understand this, right? Why, you know, why, why is, why is Facebook here and why is Apple here and why are they talking about two different things? Either someone will think of them as just two tech companies or someone will say, well, Facebook's one kind of company, Apple, why are they even competing in the first place at this level that it matters this much? Um, And they're not the only ones. There's a lot of consumers who may or may not care about this at all. And I think you said it before, they may not care. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, we talk about, you know, John is bringing up some really, John is coming with the heat right now. Uh, we, we got fired up, man. <laughs> um, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's so many uh, positions and, and, and pieces to the puzzle. And, you know, in data and in, in the use of data, you know, data makes the world go around at this point. Yeah. And, yeah. and Apple, I mean, you know, they got, you know, the, the watches with the health data and, and you know that's a growing area mm-hmm. and even though they make their most of their you know vast majority of their money on selling things 
you know, the data helps to sell those things too. Mm -hmm. And so even if they're not selling the data to third parties or allowing access to it from third party, they're leveraging that data to sell more devices to Mm -hmm. a certain extent. So Mm -hmm. it's not like you cannot, you can disconnect the relationship between service products and data because they they all work. They're intertwined. Extremely well together. It's just that they they have much more revenue coming in from traditional hardware mm-hmm. and and they can play that lever against a company like Facebook who mm-hmm. they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for ads at this point. Yeah. They, you know yeah. the lifeblood of their company is on people using their platforms to create data that they can sell to other businesses who want to get access to those. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, there's two things to certainly for folks to look out for while you're paying, if you're, as you're paying attention to this one is while this air cover is going on (laughs) with the battle back and forth, right. It's to basically stake their ground, right. They stake their territory of who they are, because if you don't make that announcement and in, in marketing, and I think even storytelling, if you don't, if a good story has a, has an enemy or opponent or something in it, right? Or some opposing force that you have to overcome. So, um, but as that they create that stake in the ground, what's really going on uh, that uh, they're making, whether they're making changes to privacy or not, how are they navigating uh, the next uh, step beyond that? Um, You know, what are they doing? Are they innovating in any particular capacity? Are they changing the way that they are uh, accessing the customer? Are they develop? you know, are they thinking about acquiring a company that, you know, changes the direction or, uh, you know, of their uh, growth in the future. Uh, you know, obviously we're trying to unpack a little bit of that, but, you know, I think a lot of this is air cover that's very necessary for them to stake the ground. Uh, but, but watch what's going on beneath, beneath it, follow the acquisitions, follow those statements, see uh-huh. what's going on. Cause I think you're going to see the real story of what's going to happen on both fronts. And it's not necessarily just the, 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 the top level, you know, what you're seeing in the news uh, privacy matters that are going on. Um, and then the other trend to watch is, you know, we have a lot of people who are, you know, with, with, the, with COVID has created not only a disruption in so many different ways, but I think the one that we're seeing is that there's not a, there's a hard, it's hard to find people to, to hire now, right? It is very, very difficult to do so, which means, um, and I've, I, I, I'm also suspecting, and I've read some indication of this, that there's a lot of people who are starting their own companies who are starting their own businesses. So I have a lot of empathy for them. And, you know, I think we talked about this before in the um, session with Zoho, uh, you know, which was the basis for these arguments between Apple and Facebook, which is if you're starting a new business and you're trying to grow rapidly, what platform are you going to use? Right. Mm-hmm. Is that going to determine what kind of company you are? Or do you even give a flip because you're trying to just grow? Right. And which one is going to, if you were to choose between these two, what's going to, how are you going to continue to grow? Um, and, and watching that group, the next generation of small businesses and entrepreneurs and how they start and how they're leveraging just from the ground up, right? Not, not the ones that have, you know, raised tens of millions of dollars and, or the hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, right? Or billion dollar valuations. I'm talking about like the small, I'm just getting started type of, you know, company, right? Um, and, you know, that's going to tell us, I think, a lot of tales. And, not, and this doesn't have to do with age. This simply has to do with starting a business. We're going to see where the tail goes with, um, you know, with regards to customer data and privacy with that cohort <laughs> or that cluster in uh, Google nomenclature of where the, oh, that flock, <laughs> that flock <laughs> that we'll see of new small businesses and entrepreneurs will really be uh, a telling tale for all of us about how the future of customer data will, uh, will play out.
So in other words, you got to give a flock about privacy. Is that what you're <laughs> trying to say? I think that's a, I think that's a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Another t-shirt. There it is. We, we could not have a show with Anand without a t-shirt idea <laughs> coming to life. There it is, man. I, I really thought this was going to be like, uh, you know, 30, 35 minute conversation. I know. It's been an hour and it's been nonstop and it's it been great. Believe. I really appreciate all the, the knowledge. You know, I should I should have expected this because you are, you know, the Midas of uh, Martech. So I you, <laughs> you have to live up to your reputation. And you certainly did. Uh, this has been great. And of course, we're going to be looking at this because. It's not like this is going to get any duller anytime nope. soon. Nope. Uh, matter of fact, you, you told people what to watch out for. I'll ask, add, watch out for the, the relationships and the alignments and the partnerships yes. that form because yes. I can't see one company doing it alone. Uh, it's going to take, it's going to take a number of companies agreeing to push something forward. That'll make, that'll actually, make cookies go away and whatever comes next come in. I think we're we're still years away from cuz I just can't see there's too much at stake. Yep. For for big guys, medium guys, small guys to change something as fundamental as not being able to leverage cookies, third-party cookies. Mm -hmm. I think the vast majority of companies are not ready for that. Nope. And and they're going to want to put it off as long as possible because most people do not like change. <laughs> and when you change something as fundamental as this, uh, uh it's not going to happen in any time frame that <laughs> was expected to happen. And so that's just my thought about it. Uh, I think that's a great point. I mean, I know we're a little over, but I, I have to agree with you. Power, I've, I've especially in the last couple of years, and we're going to see this in the next decade and a half. Partnerships are powerful. And they weren't powerful before because you could own the world. <laughs> now that's not the case anymore, right? The world is far smaller and it continues to get smaller. And so is the eco the marketplace. And so is the, uh, or the amount of opportunity in a marketplace. So those partnerships are going to be a very critical path. So I 100% agree. And we can see that. We can see that happening already. And we're seeing the significant amount of companies who grow rapidly handle partnerships remarkably well. Mm. All right. Well, this has been great. Uh, let me see. It looks like a couple more comments here. Uh, man, you guys got real chatty. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And thank you, John. Thank, thank you, you, John. Yeah. You typed That's like a, a book chapter in the comment section there. Tom, on, on his. <laughs> <laughs> thank not God he's not driving. Right? <laughs> I'm driving, no driving something go. else. Yeah. Yeah, and we're not, you know, kill, talk about killing a, a certain sector. Yeah, small businesses would be the ones gotta hurt be, the most. Got to empathize with them. Yeah, we got to figure that yeah. out. Yeah, cookies are, yeah. <laughs> they certainly are. Especially when they're packaged in dozens or more. Yeah. I do feel dirty recording this. <laughs> Boy, man, this, this is going on and on. Thanks, guys, and thank you for joining us. I'll be back tomorrow with, uh, yeah, CRM players. Actually, it's going to be an interesting one. Michael Wu from Pros, who's Mr. AI. He's, he's been one of the biggest thought leaders in on that subject for years. Remember, I said Dr. Michael Wu. He's all in on this stuff. He's going to come in and, and, and share what he's seeing, you know, what's going on over the last, you know, since we last talked to him. It was right about the beginning of the, uh, of the COVID situation. So it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. 
And uh, yeah, I'll be back. Uh, let's see, watching Privacy on Friday, watching Amazon Friday afternoon. You're going to get real tired of me by the end of this week. But anyway, I hope you have a good rest of the day and we will see you later.